We need to be responding to an emergency within four minutes and we need to be on scene at a particular incident within a further eight minutes. So essentially if, if someone calls into Triple O and they ask for assistance within 12 minutes, we need to be there on scene. You're listening to the Juicy Bits Podcast, uncovering the extraordinary in ordinary lives with your host, Jasmine Richwold. Welcome to the Juicy Bits podcast. From doing this radio show, I've been able to meet people at their workplaces and not just talk to them about their job, but we delve into the nuts and bolts of their everyday working life. Today I'm in the picturesque suburb of Montrose, about 33 kilometres east of Melbourne, and I'm here to interview Rob Waters, a volunteer firefighter and lieutenant of the Montrose Fire Brigade. Rob talks about the closeness of the volunteers within his brigade and goes into quite detail how he deals with trauma, but not just from facing bushfires, from other emergencies he gets called out to, like motor vehicle accidents. Rob's brigade trains twice a week on a Tuesday night and Sunday morning, and like all the volunteers here, Rob is dedicated and committed to his community. But it must be said, Rob's perspective on life is quite simple, And it's that family comes first. And from listening to him speak about how the brigade keeps the community together, you'll understand why. Here's Rob. Rob Waters, First Lieutenant of the Montrose Fire Brigade. What does a typical day at work look like as a lieutenant at the Montrose CFA? A normal work day for me is getting up roughly around 5.30 in the morning, getting a quick quick shower and change, and then shooting into my workplace in Mount Waverley, where I run a, a security business. From there, I work between 7 o'clock through to about 5. And during the day, I go to meetings in the city. I coordinate my staff as well as deal with suppliers and vendors. And during that time, I try and do my best to assist and support the brigade in numerous activities. So we might get a fire call during the day where I might need to have a conversation with someone out in the field who's dealing with a particular incident, or we might uh, have an event where I need to coordinate some sort of function or some some sort of facility during the day where I can get hold of local business or, or community people. So it must be easier being a business owner to be able to take action when it needs to be done. Yeah, it is. We do have some some great businesses out there, some local private businesses that really get behind volunteers and the the Country Fire Authority and and allow the volunteers to assist and support when they can. So that means when we do have an incident that they can leave work and assist in a a particular incident or an emergency, or it might be a a function at a school where we go and present and help help kids and, and teach them about fire safety. So how long have you been a volunteer at the CFA here? Coming up to 15 years later in the year, I started back in 2000, 2000, 2001, and I originally came up here because of a friend who was in the CFA in in Montrose, and um, he brought me up here and and showed me around the premises, and I was I was excited. It was it was um, it was engaging because I got to meet a few people at the start and talk to them about their experiences and what they did and and how they go about it. And then I decided to put my hand up and have a crack at it. So has it changed over the years for you? It does. The way that I look at the fire brigade is that you join the fire brigade for a reason. Everyone joins for a reason. But I think 
uh, and it's a personal reason. Um, and then after a period of time, what it does is that, that that reason changes. And I think that it's not, it changes because it's not a personal reason anymore. It's about being involved in our, in our team and our, our family and our family at Montrose. So that's the reason for me. I, I originally joined because I had a friend in it. And then I had something that impacted my life in 2000, late 2001. And that, that, um, that was when a, a friend passed away in a car fire. And um, you sort of, you know, being in the emergency service, I mean, I was very, very young at the time, um, you felt helpless. And that was sort of my motivator, my drive right then. So it gave me uh, a reason to be here. Not that um, that was a personal reason back then. And then it changes because become so heavily involved with the people you you deal with and the bonding and the mateship and the friendship you receive out of all the members and, and the wider CFA family. And it changes. It changes the way that you look at the fire brigade. You start with a personal reason and then you branch out and you have all these friends and I could certainly say that even if this fire brigade wasn't here today, we, I'd still be, with, be friends with the people here. And that's the reason. All of the volunteers here are from the local area, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So we have approximately 50 members of operational and members. We have 35 active firefighters and they all live within probably a four to five kilometre radius of our fire station. So to be a member of any CFA brigade, you need to live within the area, be able to respond within a certain time frame. And how long is that time frame? We need to be responding to an emergency within four minutes and we need to be on scene at a particular incident within a further eight minutes. So essentially, if, if someone calls into Triple O and they ask for assistance, within 12 minutes, we need to be there on scene. So in the middle of the night, you can imagine, you know, it's not just during the day that we get called out, we get called out at all times. And you could be laying in bed as fast asleep at two o'clock in the morning and your pager goes off and it could be a, a call for help. And we then get changed, come up and go into your car and then pop up to the fire station, get your gear on, and we need to get out the, the first truck within four minutes. So it's, four minutes uh, doesn't sound a lot, but it is It is when you're slowly counted out and a lot of people live very, very closely here. So we're, we're, we're flourished with members that can get the truck out the door pretty quickly. Aside from bushfire season, and we'll touch on that a little bit later, what are some of the non-fire related emergencies that you guys here attend to? We had one just last night, actually. We, we responded to a power pole that had fell, fallen down. Um, it wasn't involved in a car accident or a motor vehicle accident. Um, it just fell down and the power line started sparking. So we had to go out there and make the scene safe. So that was responding an electrical company to isolate the power and then repair the pole. We attend to motor vehicle accidents. We also go and support other agencies as well as um, the SES and ambulance and police as well in any, any matters that they might need our expertise. So when a call comes through for a non-fire related emergency, more often than not when you attend the scene, are there the SES or the ambulance and the police there and you all work together? We do. It all depends on which agency is closest and where the incident happens. It might be that the police might tie it up or the ambulance and we might be there first or it could be that they're on scene before us. But what happens is we we have uh, strategic processes that we follow. It's called an incident management process and we all work together and uh, we have uh, responsibilities uh, within our act and we support each other and their roles as police, ambulance and, and fire brigade as well. 
Talk to me about the recruitment process. Let's just say someone wanted to come to be a part of the CFA. Is that a process that you personally take care of? And what is the actual process itself like? Um, I do take care of the process. In my current portfolio, I assist with recruitment uh, and sustainability of those members. And what happens is we might have someone that lives locally within the area and they'll, they'll make contact with us. So they'll reach out via coming down here uh, on a Sunday morning or um, they'll contact us via Facebook or our website uh, and they'll fill out a document and the document is just a basic join me. It's like, a, like joining any organisation or business. It's an application. And they come down there and we read the application and then what we do is we coordinate a information session and within, within the information session we talk about uh, what the Montrose Fire Brigade is and we talk about our cultures and the, the way of life down here and we also talk about what's involved in actually being a member of the Fire Brigade. We also talk about, we also talk about our family, our families, our home life, our business lives and we also talk about the training aspect of it too. What happens is after they do the information session we say, we say to them here's our cards, here's our numbers, let's touch base in a couple of weeks and let's I want you to go home and I want you to talk to your families and I want to talk to your families and friends and, um, and your businesses and, and your work colleagues and talk to them about what we've just talked about. And, and if they're happy with that and you feel comfortable, then we can go to the next step. And the next step is a one-on-one -on -one interview with the captain and the first lieutenant. And what we do there is we sit down and we talk about the information session and if they have any other questions that they they need to discuss or they are uncomfortable about something, then we, we debrief with them and talk about them. And then we've got a list of questions that we go through and they're just general questions, they're nothing scary. Uh, it's not like you're going in for a job application, if you miss a question, it's, you know, we don't accept you in, but we just like to talk about our area and just ask questions. It's more of a, just a character check um, because we want to make sure that you know, people coming into our fire brigade and into our family are the right people. The CFA also has restrictions on criminal checks, so we do a criminal check on, on the individual. And we also, they also need to do, uh, submit a medical check as well. So if you had uh, asthma or some sort of, uh, something that would impact you in turning out, we, they need to declare that as well. From there, what it's a bit of a long process, but what happens is then we accept you. As, uh, as a probational member and you come to a meeting and then you, it's a little bit intimidating, but you come to our, one of our meetings where everyone's there for the month and you, s you put your hand up and you say, my name's Rob and I'm here to join the fire brigade and I live in such and such area and just state a reason why. And then the membership votes on you. So the membership needs a 51% uh, a majority. So you put your hand up and you vote on it and then they're accepted as a probational member for, for three months since the brigade. So based on group vote, it can either sway one way or the other? It does, but uh, I think it's only happened once in probably 30 years that we haven't accepted a member. There was probably some reasoning or some logic behind it, but uh, the brigade members trust that if it's passed a, a diligent process by the captain and the first lieutenant, then they're a suitable member for the fire brigade. And what about the physical training? You do need to have a level of fitness. When you first start out as a probational member, you, you need to do a course. And uh, you do a six-month course. They're on Wednesdays and Sundays. And what that does is you go through all these different modules, and that gives you the ability to, to learn the basic art of firefighting, very, very, very basic, before you can turn out. Uh, you don't need to be a bodybuilder or be an, an athletic person to be able to perform firefighting. There's more than just the, the physical approach to it.
There's um, the leadership and, and, and management processes that, that you could be involved in. There's also the communication side. There's also drivers as well. So when you look at a, a volunteer, we range from 16 through to, to 60. And um, they all, all have different sizes, different weights, uh, different genders. So it, essentially how we perform all our tasks, they're, they're usually in, in group tasks. But if, if someone's not up for something or be able to do something, then they certainly help put their hand up and ask for help. The members here are volunteers. How does this brigade stay alive in the community? That's a good question because it's, um, it's one that I constantly work on. Sustainability for, for a fire brigade means that you constantly need to engage the community. You need to engage the community, local businesses and people. To be sustainable as a volunteer fire brigade, not only do you need the members, but you also need funds. So that means that you know we, as a, a volunteer fire brigade, now need to go out and fundraise, and we need to go out there and promote fire safety as well, because not only is our core business firefighting, but we need to go out there and actually engage in, in providing assistance and support to, from children up to um, adolescents and, and the elderly in fire safety as well. So how do we become sustainable? We need to constantly be in the community. We need to um, assist the local sporting clubs, the schools, um, parents, different clubs, different organisations, different businesses. And we need to promote being a leader in the community and, and sort of engage and, and promote enthusiasm that they want to be a part of this as well and have their own piece of helping out and supporting the community. So it's a challenging one and it's one that you, you can never drop. You can't drop the ball on it. You've always got to be active, looking for people and, and reaching out. So if there's any ever an opportunity to do anything within, within uh, our area, then we try and do our best to do it. And do you find that perhaps families that maybe have unfortunately been affected by a fire or by an incident, once that happens, they become supportive or they jump on board as a way of giving back for the help that they received when they were in need? Yeah, I think sometimes you do. I, whenever you do help out a family or, or an individual, there are cases where they'll come back and they'll come down to us and they'll say thank you very much and they'll bring us um, some cakes or a couple beers or, or a donation, which is fantastic. And sometimes it might affect the individual where they think, well, um, I needed help then. And, you know, if my family needed help, I'd expect someone else to roll out and not just have to rely on a fire brigade. So sometimes you get the individuals that want to come down and, and be a part of it after an incident. But some people think that they can't help, which is strange because anyone can help. Anyone can be a part of a, a wonderful organisation like the Country Fire Authority and, and give in some way. You don't just need to be the strongest person in the world or you, you don't need to be a CEO of a business to be able to give. You know, you, you can, you, there's many forms of giving. So, But after an incident, yeah, sometimes we don't hear about what happens to a, to a person. Um, sometimes you, you might be on the news or the radio giving a, um, a report about something and you may not hear about them until the following day or, or the day after or you may not hear about them uh, at all. So sometimes it's, um, you know, you, you leave wondering what happened but I suppose that's, you know, that's life, you know, you've just got to move on from that. So depending on if it's a good situation or a bad situation. 
can you talk to me a bit about what happens throughout the bushfire season? Given that you have four minutes to get to somewhere, how does that impact day to day? Well, we don't just prepare for summer. That's one thing I think is a little bit sheltered in, in the Country Fire Authority. When people think about the CFA, they think about bushfires. Well, we prepare 24-7 around the clock. So we do prepare for summer and leading into summer and bushfires because they can happen any time and so can uh, um, house fires and structural fires. But uh, how does it impact us leading into the summer? We do um, numerous training sessions to prepare for bushfires. So when we lead into August, September, October, November, we concentrate on the wildfire expert. So actually going out there and using it different types of tools and techniques and branches and, and RACOs and, um, and we train in that scenario. So we sort of move off a little bit of structural um, firefighting and move into the wildfire aspect because it, it's a different type of firefighting. It's, it's, it's a different experience, it's a different feel and uh, it can happen, um, like you say, out of the blue with no prior warning. So we usually train up, train between sort of August, November, and then we train throughout as well. So it's not just that we train and then we're ready to go for it. We constantly need to be prepared and ready to go. But with any type of wildfire, we can be pushed into different areas. We could go interstate. We could go um, if, into different regions. So we've got to be prepared. So sometimes you might put your hand up and say, listen, I've got an availability. It's going to be a pretty bad day on Thursday. So what I'll do is I'll put my hand up for it being in, in an away crew. And that away crew may, may go to any fire located within two, four, six, eight hours um, of our fire station. So we go and support other fire brigades to make sure that you know, we, we give our best efforts in suppressing a fire. This mighty country of ours bears the brunt of nature's highs and lows on any given day of the year. And the magnitude of bushfires really comes into life as we see images of the news with burning bushland and communities under threat. As Australians, we're really good at giving thanks to those who have helped us in times of need. It's easy for us to donate money after a natural disaster because we empathise with those who have lost. Here's Rob's take on the events of Black Saturday, Victoria's darkest day in bushfire history. 2009 we had the Black Saturday fires. I haven't done any interstate firefighting because my, my work life doesn't allow me to have that type of flexibility, but I'm able to take three to four days off at a time and, and be able to um, go out and, and help out. But Black Saturday, that was, uh, that was uh, even though that I did day firefighting and night firefighting, that was done over a long period of time. It was done over three to four weeks. That took its toll because I have responsibilities at work and I've got responsibilities at home too. So even though that, um, you know, there might be a fire burning out there too, uh, you know, I still have just as much responsibilities as on the fire ground as at home life too. So you're just going to make sure that that, that balance, is, the balance is there because it can be very easily to just go to fire calls and fire calls and fire calls and not, and not, not worry about your home life. But that's, that's the most important part. With the Black Saturday fires, our crews were prepared and ready to go on that day and we got numerous warnings leading up to that day to say that it was going to be a bad day. And I was placed on one of the, the um, fire appliances for the day so that if we got something, I'd be at the door and be prepared and ready to go. So we got a call roughly around one o'clock for a fire over in Burwood 
and uh, Burwood Highway in Ferntree Gully. And that fire there, it wasn't heavily reported uh, as much as the King Lake Marysville fires, and they, they were devastating fires. But that fire over there um, had the opportunity to be very, um, very damaging in the way of uh, loss, loss of life and also loss of buildings and, and, and bushland as well just strategically where that fire was located. But we, we responded uh, at about one o'clock in the afternoon and we um, were able to get on hold of that fire. I think there was roughly around 30, 30 or 40 appliances with a couple of aerial crafts, uh, helicopters out there suppressing the fire. And we finished up roughly around, uh, I finished up roughly around uh, seven, eight o'clock that night, exhausted. Uh, the following day, I then got uh, redirected down to King Lake and um, Yarra Glen way down there. Our responsibilities for that, what we'd been tasked up for, was to go out there and, and put out hot spots and, and obviously we had the briefing of, of the impact and what happened out there. And our responsibilities were to go out and um, in our crews and in our strike team and, and put out hot spots, be a presence in the community, help out as much as we could with the local people and also checking over vehicles for, for people and also premises also just to make sure that we haven't lost anyone you know we couldn't find anyone. How do you recover personally from an event in such magnitude how do you get past the experience and and get on with life essentially and keep the motivation to keep on doing what you're doing whilst motivating the other volunteers and everyone in the community? Uh, it, it varies. It varies. For me, well, I, for a general firefighter, it does take a, a toll. It, you know, it doesn't have to be a loss of life that actually triggers something that affects you emotionally. And everyone's, everyone is uh, impacted by something different. Uh, it may not be loss of life. It could be just going out and seeing someone upset that, you know, that they're lo losing their house. And that can emotionally challenge people. Everyone acts in, in different ways and responds in different ways. So it is challenging. Me personally, I don't get affected by, by blood and death. I can handle that. It's in within my, my, I suppose, genes to be able to deal with that. I haven't been affected by something, by that type of incident in the past. I haven't been, but but in, in saying that too, I have been affected by an incident, but it didn't lead to death or uh, or, or or a casualty. I had, um, and, and for instance, we responded to a tree stump, and uh, that was the information that came across on our pages. And and the other information was that an ambulance was responding. So it, it triggered something in my mind that something's not right. So we responded to to the house, and it was just a normal house in an in an urban area just around the corner. And we beat the ambulance service there, so they must have been on another job. So we pulled up, and I, I noticed straight away that uh, the mother was, uh, or a lady was frantic, because I didn't know she was a mother at that stage. Anyway, I got out and I, I went up to her, and she said that uh, her child had fell into a stump and was burnt. So anyway, I, I certainly went back to my, my crews, and I said, well, we need to get the first aid gear out ready to go and um, just wait for me. So I went out to the backyard and um, I, I saw a lady holding a child and this child was, the screams were just, you can't, I don't know, you, it was horrible. And um, anyway, I saw the child, the child looked at me 
and uh, as soon as the child saw me, it, it was just an amazing, it was a horrible experience, but it was an experience where when the child saw me, he stopped crying. He reached over and grabbed me and he wouldn't let me go, and uh, wouldn't let me go. You just, I've, it's amazing how much, how a five, six-year-old child can actually squeeze onto you and won't let you go and, and grip you tightly. Anyway, so I, I looked at his feet and his feet, he fell into a stump and the, the stump was just burning. It was the, you know, it wasn't a, a major fire or anything like that, but the child was playing at the backyard and, and his feet um, fell into the stump and burnt his skin. And when you looked at his foot, <clears throat> when I had a look at his foot, it, you, you could put your hand between his foot and his and his skin, and and that that wasn't good. I knew that we were in a little bit of trouble there. Anyway, I um I asked for some clean water, some cold water, uh, and a, a bucket, and we'll you know we'll we'll see what we can do without the ambulance there. So we arranged that, and I put him in there, and he wouldn't let me go. It doesn't matter what I did, he wouldn't let me go. And he was he was he he had a sense of calm on him, and I think he knew as a child, which is, which is amazing, that he was in probably a good place where people were helping him. And um, ambulance came up, we did the right procedures, we did the best we could, and uh, they praised us on the spot. They said that we did the right thing, we provided a sense of calm to him. He was amazing. We, got, we have a little teddy in the back of the truck, and it's called a trauma teddy. And anyway, it's, it's sitting over there, and what we do is whenever we see a child that's in, you know, Need a bit of a help and need a bit of pick me up. We give him a teddy bear, and it was it was it was pretty cool. So he took his teddy bear and went off on the, on the ambulance, and went straight to um, to hospital. And that there is an incident where it's not a death or an incident, but it's not that the 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 incident where he's you know I can see his foot impacted me, but it was that interaction with a child, and that um, that that moved me. That really did. Rattle my cage, but I know I can handle a lot, and I can I can be put under a lot of emotional pressure and stress, and I can deal with that. I'm very I, I know I'm very good with that, but that that touched me in a way that I might now I look at my children, and maybe because it's a child, um, but it just moved, it moved me a little bit. But the wonderful thing was is that the father contacted me probably about two months later and said, I just want to come up, and the child came up. And um, it was fantastic. The child came up with, a, with his father and we played here on the trucks and showed him all around and jumped in the trucks and squirted water. And it was, and it was, just, it was just like, that's the reminder that, that you hit home and makes you want to keep doing it, which is, which is fantastic. I'd just like to point out that what Rob has just said there is how he personally deals with trauma. Most certainly that is not the norm as everyone tackles it in their own unique way. He did tell me, though, that the CFA have a wonderful support network that any of the volunteers can engage with at any time, whether it be for peer support or counselling, and that service is provided to over 60,000 volunteers across Victoria. On that personal note, you're a father, you've got two children. How does being a CFA volunteer impact on family and personal life. I imagine it's a support network too that the support at home allows you to continue doing the great work that you do here. <laughs> it does. Even though I have my own, my own family with, with um, Connor and Taylor and my wife Sarah, we are a part of an extended family. And 
any time that a member in our fire brigade is in need of help, assistance, support, love, whatever it is, that, that we are here to help. And it might be the youngest member of the fire brigade or the eldest member of the fire brigade, but we, we look at it and we have a view on the world that if, if things aren't right at home, you know, it might be that um, <clears throat> the kids aren't well, or it might be that um, you know, you're under financial stresses, um, that home life comes first, family needs to come first. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the fire brigade world, the fire brigade world will still stand. Uh, it'll still be strong, but they, you need to concentrate on, on, on the home life first before worrying about fire brigade. And it does, I have to admit, you know, we have, um, certainly when you have um, a, a leadership role within a fire brigade, you're much more than, uh, uh, you know, just coming up there and making sure that the trucks are nice and polished <clears throat> or we go out and respond to a fire. F for, a, for a brigade, you, you're bigger than that. You're, you're the mother, your father, you're sometimes you're the financial advisor, relationship counsellor, support. You know, you need to be bigger than what um, what people in the community think we are. You know, we need to make sure that we support each other and that's how we be, once again, a viable fire brigade by leaning on each other. And when someone's down, you need to pick them up because one day you're going to be down and you want to be picked up. So it does, it does impact you. And um, especially on a personal note, you, you've got to make that time. And I, I have a, a very high-pressure job. I have a very high-pressured life. And any time that I spend with my family, I do my best to absolutely maximise every second of it. So if I've only got an hour or two with the, the children at night time, then you know, it's about reading, playing, um, talking, communicating, and making sure that, you know, that uh, I'm not selfish in my fire brigade world to impact them. And also making sure that my wife doesn't feel left out um, because that's, she's just as important as being my my peer and my support in my day-to-day -day job um, as a father and as a friend too. What would you say in, in say 20 years from now your children say to you, Dad I want to be a firefighter, what do you reckon your response would be? Uh, love them too. Connor my son and Taylor my daughter, I'd, uh, I would love them to be a part of the fire brigade world because as soon as you step foot in, in the fire brigade, in a brigade, You've got, you've instantly got 50 new friends. You've got 50 new families. You've got 10 new fathers. You've got 10 new mothers. You know, you've got a wonderful world of learning what it's like to be in the real world. Um, from getting there out in the community, putting in hard work, getting up early, getting out in the middle of the night, helping out people when they're the most vulnerable. But also, I look at it too as, you know, even the young, young generation when they come up into the fire brigade and they're, you know, they're going through their learners on their, on their car or their P-plates. And we go out and we respond to a, a motor vehicle accident. It's a timely reminder too for them that, that you know, texting on their phone or being silly on the roads or not concentrating or drink driving can, um, can lead to death and destruction. And, and sometimes it's, it's good to put them in that environment, in a monitored environment, obviously, um, so that they can learn and um, see actually what happens in the real world instead of what happens on a magazine or a, or a, a news article or a, you know an ad on the television, which is sometimes not as um, it doesn't grip you as much as what you see out in the real world with your own eyes. 
The other part of the fire brigade that, that's that's really good is the, the social aspect. We do numerous social activities throughout the year that that um, is team bonding. We have a dinner dance every year where we present our service awards and, and, and awards and medals to, to the members. But it's also a, a social environment for our families too where we try and do our best to encourage them to come up here and be in the fire brigade family and and, and and also be a part of it so that you know that their friends and their peers all hang out together and make it a lot a lot easier and a lot easier for us because some of the 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 mothers and the fathers externally from the group all hang out externally which is great and they they communicate about lots of things about kids growing up to um, what happens in the fire brigade and, and catching up for social coffees and lunches and barbecues and that's that's the other aspect of the fire brigade that's is sort of the linchpin in what we do up here. You know, you need to make the place inviting, engaging, motivating, and it might be that we might go out and go to the snow for a weekend and, and, and go snowboarding, or we might go surfing, or might go for a bushwalk, or just have a barbecue at the fire station where we bring people down and, and have a chat to them, but that's just as important uh, for brigade culture as, as getting a truck out the door. You're listening to the Juicy Bits Podcast. Uncovering the extraordinary in ordinary lives with your host, Jasmine Richwall.